0: I'm Piercy Janewell and you're listening to Unsubscribed. Every episode, I sit down with business leaders to help you question everything you thought you knew about marketing. If you enjoy this show, please do subscribe and leave a review on YouTube or your favorite podcast player. Now, onto this episode. My guest today is Toby Murdoch. Toby is a serial entrepreneur who has started and sold several companies from Flowers to Music to Martech, including his last venture that our audience is probably most familiar with, Capost, a cloud-based platform for managing content and campaigns. After the Capost acquisition, Toby started Highway Education. A public benefit corporation that provides uh, aspiring professionals a quicker, more affordable pathway to digital marketing careers.
1: Welcome to the podcast, Toby. It's great to have you on. Thank you, Pierce. I am delighted to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah,
0: it's awesome. i'm I'm pumped for our discussion today. And your your background is very interesting. And I, I have to start with the flowers. Yeah, so, I love how you dropped
1: the flowers. <laughs> <laughs> this is
0: your first business and you were in Ecuador. Yep. How did yep. you get into
1: this? Uh, you know, I got to the end of college and just kind of like typical professional tracks didn't really appeal to me. I had no idea, though. I knew I I was interested in things entrepreneurial. I had no idea how to get into them. My my father, God bless him, was a lawyer, so he was much more in those like typical tracks, and um, my mom sort of worked from time to time. So I, I don't know. I just didn't know how one entered in entrepreneurship. But I read a little bit about you know globalization opportunities and. Uh, I spoke Spanish and I also wanted to live in like a third world um, setting, you know, also just as part of all that. So I just sort of was like expressing this intention and a friend of mine was like, oh, you should meet my cousin. He owns a flower business in Ecuador. And I was like, wow. Like, that sounds pretty wild. <laughs> yeah. So I ended up meeting him, and he's like, yeah, you can come down here. We'll find some place for you to work. So I, after college, I moved to Ecuador, um, and I started working in the flower industry. Most of the flowers in the eastern U.S. and Canada um, come from Colombia and Ecuador, little known fact, because the wow. uh, conditions – or ideal for it, you know, in terms of climate. And uh, um, I did that, but it was the, it was the great, greatest decision I ever made, mostly because I met my wife in Ecuador. Um, and so if I hadn't made that choice, uh, that wouldn't have all worked out. So it was a crazy, you yeah, know, it was a crazy thing to do for my first few years uh, out of college. That's amazing. Yeah, I
0: know. You know, I always see the flowers in the flower shop, and I think, like, where did these come from? Like, the supply chain on that must be yes. incredible yes. because there's, it's a matter of days before, you know, these the shelf life on them. Like,
1: yeah, I, that's the whole thing. So. I actually then moved back to the US and started a business importing flowers, trying to kind of uh, streamline that supply chain. You know, looking back on it now, as hopefully a little bit older and slightly wiser person, it is kind of ridiculous. You think, like, the, so they are refrigerated and flown to Miami. And then flown again. I mean, the whole thing consumes like so much fossil fuels. It's like horrendous. And and the flowers aren't necessarily like grown in you know, non-toxic conditions either. So I, I don't know if it's uh, that great of a thing for us. I think we'd probably be better off just getting flowers from local places, you know, yeah. just seasons and enduring flowerless winters or something. Yeah, like. yeah. Yeah, and not a lot, lot of
0: flowers, flowers are uh, gl- growing in Canada in the winter. <laughs> I'm sure
1: <there's laughs> yeah. I'm sure there's some yeah. right of a, yeah. of a summer. Yeah, but in the winter, yeah, forget yeah, it. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah, I mean totally talk about trying to do it. You'd have to build greenhouses and then the energy expenditure to heat them would be a disaster. So
0: yeah. It wouldn't well,
1: that's cool though. Like you just you had an
0: idea, you decided to move. You know, to a country you didn't
1: know. and it sounds like, you yeah, it was really cool to have an opportunity to live in a country like that um that's you know very, very different from everything that I was familiar with. So that, and then meeting the woman who uh, who we married, you know uh, that obviously was the best part of the whole experience. but I sort of i i I sort of got into entrepreneurial stuff um. Sort of from the get go. Although then I started having kids and I was like, woo, I don't know if I can do this entrepreneurship thing. But then I jumped back in despite the kids.
0: So, is that when you were, when you had your kids, is that when you started doing more on the business development side of things?
1: Yeah, I did that a little bit. Let's see. So, I had my first kid, I was like 26 or something. And then, yeah, and then I started working for, Companies. I worked in a telecom company that was focused on Latin America. And then but an event and then big company and some, a startup. But then I ended up starting up my own company thereafter. So Is that that was cloud or yeah, exactly. It was a uh, it was like a music company focused on social networks. We sort of like went in, built a extension to itunes we'd see what your library was and then replicated in facebook and back then it was like myspace and other things like that believe wow. it or not yeah. And, yeah and um so you could see what others were playing and they could see what you were playing and then and then um we wanted to embed the music and this was like the wild wild west you know napster was going on and then youtube had most every song so we'd search for it and find it and and we were like tiptoeing this you know copyright you know high wire and um so when we had a chance to sell that business we were like yep because i don't know (laughs) all this is (laughs) yeah but i mean you were in like the very
0: right place at the right time with that business right like Uh, i was in 2006 (laughs) or something
1: uh, yeah, but the, to tell you the truth, the exit on that was pretty modest. But, um, I mean, we never raised that much money either. Yeah. It, it wasn't any kind of huge thing. But, but well, I would say this thing. The thing about music is all. no one has made money in music and startups because uh, of the licensing and the copyright stuff. I mean, even Spotify now, I guess, has a high market cap. But, like, the labels will be like, okay, how profitable do you? Okay, we'll mm-hmm. raise our rate. We'll just compress the margin. It's like you never actually own anything uh, as yeah. a music business. It's, so it's really hard because your cost of goods sold is, is not something you can ever control. Yeah, that's super interesting. <laughs>
0: I, I mean, I, I saw an interview of, of you explaining what cloud was and <laughs> how it's an unlimited on-demand access to play a you know, and your social networks. And it's it's amazing. You were right at the same time Spotify started with
1: a very similar idea. They ended up doing quite a bit better than we did though. I would say there's of <laughs> contrasting outcomes, but yeah, I mean, there was, you know, it sort of made sense at the time, you know, I, I grew up I, I, probably a lot older than you, I can't say for sure, but, you know, you know, cassette tapes and CDs. And then when music became virtual, it's like, whoa, I mean, that wouldn't happen, people are like, wow, there's there's a lot we could do with this. And so there were possibilities, but then again it just kept being kind of uh, limited by the, the copyright piece, which is fair. I mean, you yeah. know, owners of the music need to own it. But the, you know, the labels, the whole all things digital was destroying their business. So at that time they were resisting and they were like, let's bring it back to vinyl records, you know, and, yeah. and uh, that wasn't really working. I think finally their businesses got sort of destroyed and now they've rebuilt in more partnership with Spotify and iTunes and stuff like that. But at that time they were trying to kind of resist the future, which was tough. They're, yeah. Trying to ignore it
0: still. Yeah. Well, they couldn't anymore. Yeah. No. Um, Okay, so you have the flower business, the music business. How how do you get into
1: MarTech from there? Um, it was kind of a strange thing. So I sold my music business to a company in Los Angeles. I moved to Los Angeles. Um, we were skeptical going, my, my family and I, like going into Los Angeles, and it just wasn't a great fit. We're just not like that L.A. Hollywood-oriented people. So I, I did it for a year, and I was like, I got to get out of this, and it was 2008, 2009 and whatever. And so that's when the financial crisis was. So I wasn't about to get a job because no one was hiring and I, don't want, I didn't want a job. I mean, I wanted to do another business ultimately, but gosh, if I had thought, if I had thought smarter about these things, I mean, I had a lot of good luck, but um, also I, I, one thing I've learned, you know, and I know you're an entrepreneur too, like looking back, it's like, gosh, if I had taken more time and been more thoughtful, about the initial choice of what you're going to do at the start because it's it's it determines so much of years of your future and and sort of like if i had known you know then what i know now business anyhow what i knew was sort of media and content and publishing in the music world and and elsewhere and then i was like okay but publishing is changing and it's not just like a centralized Publishing system, but it's like a decentralized one where lots of people can be authors. So, what if I created software that enabled this kind of multi author decentralized model and created a back end for that? So, that's what Kapost originally was. I always say it wasn't flat, it's not flattering to my IQ that I built a tool for like newspapers and magazines whose businesses were also under tremendous duress. And they were trying to resist the future. And so that did not work well at all. And we were really struggling. But then, um, then some, uh, some, some, a few marketers reached out to us and were saying, hey, we're doing this thing called content marketing. We're trying to operate like the publishers that you serve. Um, could, you, could we use your platform for our digital marketing? And I was like, absolutely. And I went to one of the first content marketing worlds. There were like six or seven booths. This was Joe Paluzzi's thing. It was in Cleveland at this tiny like holiday inn or something. And I remember calling back, but there was still so much energy and just so much like much more business potential in the world of digital marketing than in publishing. I remember calling back to my partners and being like, guys, this is the future of our business. We're changing everything to this. And then I met an analyst on Forrester who was talking about content marketing, just kind of was tweeting or commenting with him. And he's like, oh, I'm going to make two introductions for you. John Miller at Marketo and Steve Woods at Eloqua. And, um, and then things really kind of took off for, for us from there. But it was, a, it was a long wandering in the woods before we got to that point. That's that's awesome. I mean,
0: yeah, it's, I love marketers for that. They'll just tell you what they want and see if you can do it. Like, and yeah. isn't that just the best way to build a business when you know you just listen to your customers
1: and and Absolutely. explore that? Yeah, absolutely. Which must have been much your experience with the Revenue Pulse and NAC, right? You just kept hearing this same frustration over and over. Am I? Did yeah. I not be asking questions like this? <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: I'm right. happy to uh, right. retreading. I, I think it's it's relevant to this because as you were talking, I definitely was like, yeah, I can relate to that. So, what I, I was one of Marketo's first customers back in the day. Uh-huh. I was working at a startup at the time. I had led and implemented Marketo implementations at a couple of smaller companies. Mm-hmm. And then very similar, you know, someone just reached out to me and was like, Hey, do you do any Marketo consulting? And I was like, yeah, I do now. <laughs> and
1: that's really how it I started. Thing, though, it's yeah. almost unpatriotic of you to have been early in the marketing automation industry and not using Eloqua. <laughs> I just oh yeah, I, I, not, I actually like, did. I like want 90% that. Of, the can, of the Canadians I know in my life are like, <laughs> so it's, yeah. like, so oh, it's yeah. like, what's going on here? So
0: I did use Eloqua was the first platform I used when I okay. worked at Cognos and uh, I uh, yeah I will say when I went to the startup I wanted to implement Eloqua because it's what I knew but mm-hmm. uh, I had this VP of marketing at the time who was very good at seeing trends and uh, mm-hmm. he picked Marketo and
1: that was certainly yeah, it a, was a
0: huge decision like yeah. that shaped the path of my career so I owe a lot to uh, Charlie Palfer, if he's listening. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, that's awesome. And, and then Kapost, like, you did Kapost for a while, and that company got pretty big, didn't it? Uh, I mean, we got
1: reasonably big, but not that big in terms of full-blown internet software startup success. We got up to, like, 16 million of ARR, and we were profitable, Um, And then we were very fortunate that we uh, sold the business to Upland Software two years ago. Um, And uh, so, yeah, it was 10 years. It was um, really challenging. Uh, You know, speaking here to another startup CEO, founder, I know, I don't know, maybe yours isn't challenging. Mine was extremely challenging. It definitely is. Yeah, (laughs) business-wise was challenging. I mean... Personally, psychologically, mentally, it was yeah. super challenging. And we were very fortunate to arrive at a, a good outcome um, and, and and do that transaction.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as someone who's building a, a SaaS company, that is very impressive. So, congratulations. Oh, thanks. And it's congratulations incredible.
1: Your progress and, and great work.
0: Thanks. Thank you. So what what would you say, like, in those companies, what were, what were kind of your biggest learnings and takeaways you mentioned before, if you had... Yeah, you know, I, I have a great
1: board member who I can't imagine is listening, but uh, anyhow, his name's Paul Bell. He's at a company called, or a firm called Lead Edge Capital. And he used to just always have me bring things back to five questions, which is, who is the customer? What's their problem? How do you solve it? How do you solve it better differently than anyone else? And how do you measure the value that they're getting from it? And everything in a business, at least a software business is around those five questions, everything, everything. And, and like, that's why I was talking before about the decision at the beginning, because I, if I had asked and wondered about those questions at the beginning and really researched and investigated them, uh, I don't know if I would have done post. And then if, if there's great alignment between you and the market around those five questions, you know, there's tons of wind at your back, right? And it's certainly still challenging, but there's a lot of wind blowing with you. And then if there's not so much wind, then you just, you know, you got to push the rock up the hill yourself and that can become really challenging. And um, it's it sort of, you can be a great operator and have great execution, but if you're not, well aligned around that value proposition, there's only so much you can do. So I just would have, and it wasn't until I led a company of significant scale that, at least for me, those lessons really, really um, kind of seeped in and I could, you know, I really knew how to assess those questions in a, in a real way. Like, like there's like a, like in a soul, you know, connecting way and, yeah. um, and, that, and that's everything. And obviously it's not just answering those at the start, it's always coming back and always assessing and always aligning your whole business around those questions. So um, I'd say that's the biggest thing I learned. I learned a ton about leadership, um, a lot by doing many things wrong over and over. Um, and, and finally, hopefully learning how to do some things better. Um, and especially, I think the world has changed since I grew up and, and where things are now and a much, you know, different leadership models, which are much more effective. Um, I also learned a lot about myself, how to manage myself, my own thoughts, uh, cause I had a lot of like stress, depression, uh, losing my mind challenges, yeah. Along the way, but I got into a lot of like meditation, therapy, journaling, blah, 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 to try to work on all those. And that was learning in some ways, but I don't know. Uh, I'm finding the best way to deal with a lot of those is just not to put yourself in highly stressful situations.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Well, I'm glad you brought it up. It's because it's not something that everyone talks about, but I definitely do think, um, you know, running a business, it's hard. And well, any job is hard. And I think a lot of people deal with a lot of that stuff and maybe don't get it sorted out or don't
1: know how to. So that's great. I think, It was interesting. I think also over the last decade plus, I think there's been a lot more opening up and transparency about the psychological challenges of entrepreneurship. And I think that's really helpful and people who are struggling don't necessarily feel like they're doing something wrong. They're just more at the mean and, um, and that helps a ton and there's a lot written about it and yeah, there's a, yeah, yeah, but yeah, it's a hell of an good. Experience. I you know wish you the best. Yeah, yeah. Thank that's
0: great. Thanks, Toby, for sharing that. I think it's I think it's important that that people talk about it. And I'm glad to hear that you came out stronger on the other side of that. Yeah. I don't know,
1: stronger than right. still alive.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So Let's talk a little bit more about highway education. I I love this new idea that you have. I think it's something that's really needed uh, in the market. And uh, I think it's just a great way for people who want to get into digital marketing to, to do it in a more efficient way. So yeah, Yeah. let's get the background on highway and and what you're doing with it.
1: So, I sold compost in 2019 and I worked with the acquirer company called Upland software for a while, but I was thinking about what I was going to do next. And during that time, it was like the 2020 election in the States, like the black lives matter, um, you know, movement and just thinking about all that stuff. Part of me is like, Oh my gosh, I've learned so much versus what I did when I started my last business. I'm so much more ready to start, a a software business that really, you know, and software has this enormous financial economic potential. But I was looking at these things and I was like, wait, is the universe really crying out for another software business right now? I was like, I don't know. Not that there's not anything wrong. I mean, there's nothing wrong with leaving software, but I was fortunate to sold it and and have a little bit of, you know, kind of ability to make choices and and I just kept on going back to the, you know, to all the unrest in, you know, um, North American society. I know we're here on a, an um, international podcast. So. Yeah, <laughs> and, no, um, for sure. And, and so much of that is just, I think so much of what's going on is just people are frustrated that they don't have the opportunities, right? That, that there's this digital economy that's zooming by and people that participate in it get, you know, have all these opportunities for prosperity. And then there's a lot of people who don't have those opportunities. And so um, I decided I wanted to do something around that. on like, how could, how could I provide, how could I provide pathways into opportunity in the digital economy? And in the U S we have this cool thing. That's a B Corp you referenced a public benefit corp. So it's a kind of a corporate structure where you have a legal commitment to a social mission. And so thinking about that kind of structure and I was thinking about what I could do. And then I thought about my old industry of, you know, marketing operations, marketing automation, whatever you want to call it, and how much my customers used to be like, it's so hard for me to find talent. And I thought of like the paradox of all this, that there's all these people who are frustrated because they don't have access to the digital economy. And then there's these employers in the digital economy who can't find the talent. And I'm like, this is freaking nuts. Clearly, the, the system is is not working. You know, down south of you here in the U.S., I think our, our, our post-secondary um, education system is quite worse than yours. It's in terms of how much it costs, um, specifically the debt that it generates, the results that it, like, delivers for its customers. And I like to use that language, think about it. It's like a disaster. So... Um, I decided to take the general kind of coding bootcamp model and apply it to digital marketing, specifically B two B marketing operations, and so you know serving aspiring professionals like said, who want to you know have opportunity, more expanded opportunity to enter, with a specific focus on folks from disadvantaged communities and improving inclusion there. But then we also look at employers as customers too. Um, because they're facing a talent, not just shortage, but a talent crisis. And so we want to provide them access to a, a talent pool of qualified, trained people who are ready to go. So we have this boot camp and we just um, completed our first cohort. They just graduated uh, last Friday and um, they, we, we, we brought in about a dozen students. The big thing is we don't charge them anything. Um, up front. Um, they only owe us something if they get a job paying at least 55k. Um, so I think of it like, and I'm rambling here. Let me know if I'm, I'm going on too oh, far. This into is good. But uh, I think of it like software as a service. Now, the, as you know, the great innovation in software as a service isn't like delivering the bits and bytes over the browser versus a CD. It's that the vendor who used to sell perpetual license software and thus would sell it and be like, well, I don't really care if you get the value. Now the vendor and the customer's interests are aligned because the vendor only continues to get paid if the customer achieves the value proposition, right? So that kind of incentive alignment that SaaS has brought to the software world, I think really needs to be brought to the world of education where the vendor only gets paid if the customer the student gets to the desired outcome a job so we take that same model and and apply it to education and what we're doing and we were very fortunate in our first cohort to place 100% of our students we were peers and the Revenue pulse team who were a prolific hirer of 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 some of our students and um yeah so that's what we going on We, we did our first cohort um And now we're sort of planning out how we're going to kind of ramp things up to, to you know, serve more students and employers in 2022.
0: Well, I think having that stat of 100% placement will be a good one uh, to have on your website. I agree.
1: Um, It was a crazy experience trying to recruit these. You know, they're generally you know in their late 20s. Our average age was 26, and. They talk and be like, okay, dude, like this is kind of cool, but how do I know you're not some like scammer? Like <laughs> what percentage of your of your students historically got jobs? And I was like, well, you know, like any number divided by zero really isn't a number. So like I don't, you know, I had no answer to that question. So that was like the number one objection or concern. And having no track record was really Uh, a bummer. So um, I think, yeah, we'll be well served by having testimonials and data.
0: That's fantastic. Those, you know, your first cohort 12, that you got 12 people to go through the program and then that you, you said the program just ended and they're all already have jobs. I think it
1: It all secured employment, which
0: is great. Which just, I think really speaks to the fact that you've, started something that has a great purpose and mission and it's extremely uh needed today as well so it really seems I mean, like a win win
1: is that it feels needed right i think that yeah. again we have a lot of people who aren't don't have access to opportunity particularly people from disadvantaged communities and you know they just need Training, but then also connection into the network of employers, right.
0: Right. and
1: then we have a lot of employers who can't find people with the right skills and training. And like, isn't this what the educational system is supposed to do? These things, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it doesn't. Yeah. So um we're excited I, to be. Yeah, that's
0: awesome. So, <laughs> so for for people out there who might be interested in in being a part of this course or know somebody who who could be a good candidate? Like, how
1: do they get involved? Sure. So our URL is highwayed.com. And so, you know, whether you're interested in being a student or, Pierce, I imagine in your audience, you're interested in employing. One of our students, please go there. And there's all sorts of forms you can fill out to get in touch with us. And we'd love to love to get in touch with you. You know, it's, it's interesting how dysfunctional I've, I've had so many conversations with um, you know, MOPs leaders on this topic over the last 18 months or whatever that I've been working on this. And, and uh, it's such desperation, you know, like, it, when you think about it, so I think about it this way. So I, I, I don't have the stats on me. I I did this little bit of analysis um, at one point. So take a traditional, you know business slash technical discipline, like uh, aerospace engineering, right? Like there's yeah. a certain number of aerospace engineers that are needed in the economy. like there's attrition, there's a growth rate right? So then there's a new supply that's required per year. And then there are schools that produce the people with the skills needed. And it's like a functional labor market, right? And then in marketing ops, there is a number of people needed. It's growing at a tremendous rate, like much faster than a place in aerospace, a tremendous rate, right? So the new you know, number of talented, new inputs needed are enormous, but they're like, unlike say aerospace engineering, like there's no educational system that's generating the new talent needed to fill those openings. So it's creating all these sorts of dysfunctions, right? Throughout the market, You you know, you and I see, I'm sure we have kind of similar LinkedIn feeds like all the people talking about burnout and mops and like um, and, and and people getting exhausted and worn down. It's just there's not enough new talent coming in to to serve the need and instead and people don't even hire entry level people. Like there's so there's so little faith that people can find people who are trained that they everyone's just bidding up like senior managers to yeah. 200k a year which is like a good thing in some ways for senior managers but as those people are getting burnt out it's not really a good thing like we need that layer of entry-level folks who can take care of kind of the the base level operations of just the rudimentary work that needs to get done um, for the whole thing to operate but people can't find them people don't want to train them because once they train them their market value goes up so much that they're going to leave like It's a really dysfunctional situation on the employer side. Yep. So in your
0: next cohort, are you doing 12 again, or is it going to grow?
1: Yeah, we're going to grow, and then we're going to, you know, increase the frequency of doing the cohorts as well. Okay. We're going to both increase size of cohort and frequency of cohort. You know, we hope to next year, if we graduated a dozen this year, Um, We hope to do like 60 or 70 graduates next year. Yeah, that's
0: awesome. I totally agree with you. I think, you know, even if you look at college or university here in Canada, you know, there's your standard business degree, maybe a concentration in marketing, but it really does not give you any of the skills you need to uh, know any of the digital marketing platforms. Uh, And and I'll always kind of think back, what if I had spent my four years of university just teaching myself, you know, AdWords, Salesforce, uh, (laughs) a marketing automation platform? I would have been way ahead of where I was. And, you know, I feel very fortunate that uh, someone took a chance on me out of a university in a in a digital marketing position, and I just kind of fell into it. But it, there isn't an, and, you know, I love the program you're doing where people who are passionate about that have somewhere to learn it. Um, it and it, actually, it, it,
1: that phrase you just said, falling into it, that's yeah. what I hear time and time again. Oh, the yeah. only way that people yeah. start. Is falling into it. We we have interviewed a sustainable way to generate enough talent to serve the industry. We have interviewed uh, over
0: 30 marketing ops people now on this podcast, and it's always some roundabout way that they got into it. Yeah. And it was usually like, hey, we're going to try this thing. Can you figure it out for us? And then they do it. Uh, But we're we're so far beyond that now, right? Like the space is matured, but we don't have.
1: As the way to be, it's growth plan.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So anyway, I think it's great what you're doing. And uh, I'll, you know, we definitely want to support it and continue to see it grow. And I I think it is beneficial for everybody to your point have more there's too much marketing operations work and not nearly enough people who can do it so it's good for everybody yeah um (laughs) that's cool uh anything else that you want to share about highway education that maybe we haven't
1: yet i don't think so just like like you said i would think amongst this audience it's mostly employers and uh would love for them to reach out. You know we're at highwayed.com, and um, you know we're having conversations now to line up people who will be getting slots to recruit um, our students and bring them in. You know they're they're talking to us about what their 2020 budget and planning and timing is for bringing on headcount. And we're sort of slotting them accordingly. Um, so we would love to talk with folks. Awesome. Uh, Okay, we're going to get into
0: a section, more of like a rapid fire section here. These are questions that we ask everybody. Um, So what's something in marketing that you wish you could unsubscribe from?
1: Hmm. In marketing, something in marketing. I mean... I, I I just had a really obvious answer that I can't do something that obvious. Um, you know, I, I wish I could unsubscribe from manually entering uh, marketing performance data into spreadsheets. Um I know there's probably better ways to automate that, but they're never I don't know, they never yeah, they. Yeah,
0: they're never I easy. Mean, there's
1: still so many people that use yeah. spreadsheets. I'd love to unsubscribe from that. Um, I think there needs to be a better way to get that done, because I'd say, I don't know, some huge proportion of marketing marketing metrics is still compiled on a spreadsheet basis. Oh, yeah. Yep. Uh, Is email dead? No, of course not. Right. I mean, no, 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 no. No. And in fact, we just need great tools to compose and templatize the emails that we send out. Oh, wait, we got one here. We got one here. Just... <laughs> what uh, What do you do for fun? Uh, so I live in Boulder, Colorado. Um, and so we're right kind of uh, at the beginning of the Rocky Mountains, which start really abruptly here. And so um, spend a lot of time outdoors, hiking, skiing, camping, biking um that's sort of what we do all the time here
0: nice love it I'm a big skier myself love to ski um who is one person that you admire in the business community and why um
1: gosh okay I'm gonna say this so uh this is semi-controversial, so Bill Gates, I'm not endorsing um, a lot of his personal stuff that's come out around his divorce, and not even endorsing Microsoft, but I just read his book about climate change, and I think that he is so, I love the book, and I, I really admire how post-business you know, success, he's really focused on how he can make a positive impact, and now he's really focused on climate change. And I think the book was so fantastic in assess... Like, he's very just scientific engineering oriented. He's just assessed the problem. Like, okay, here's the problem. Total carbon emissions. breaks it down into all the categories. And then by category outlines the solutions and- that we need. And then is like making all these huge, gigantic investment bets on making it happen. So um, I really admire him, again, I'm excluding other elements of him, but at least on what he's doing now around climate change, uh, how he's assessing the problem and and really dedicating himself to fixing it is fantastic. I I listen to a lot of climate change podcasts and and there's a, he's sort of speaking of him, there's a lot of entrepreneurs in that space who I think are doing awesome things. There's a company called Form Energy, that is um, creating long-term battery storage. So, you know, we're creating all this wind and solar energy, but some days the yeah. wind doesn't, the sun doesn't shine. And so, like, how can we economically store, like, you know, mm. eight days' yeah, worth yeah. of energy for the city of Toronto? And, like, people are doing amazing stuff on that. I, I, if I had been smarter and, and more scientific, I, I would have... Uh, and been in 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 like the clean energy movement so i admire all those people i'm also living um vicariously a bit through my eldest kid my my daughter well i have three daughters but my eldest daughter um who is an engineer undergrad and she's looking to work in renewable energy so i guess i can also say her as
0: well. that's awesome nice <laughs> that's great Uh, well, you've shared some career advice already, but what's one piece of career advice that you've picked up over the years that might help others?
1: Well, any kind of career, like business
0: career. Okay, I
1: think anything. I mean, I would think of this business career wise is like, you know, I was talking before about like the wind blowing. You know what I mean? Like you got to position yourself in sectors where the wind is blowing right and because you know so you 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 want to be a place where there's already so much of success is like lining up all the society and economy-wide trends that are powering things and it's really successful businesses just surf those or ride those right they don't create all of that energy so you know think about putting yourself in um in industries and in sectors with that sort of external momentum, because that's critical. And then really think about the customer value proposition um, and the businesses you choose to go in and, and in terms of how you work inside those businesses. And cool thing about renewables, I'm sorry to get back to it, but it's just a little personal interest. Yeah. In addition to having huge, you know, society and species beneficial effects, like. Renewables, now have become cheaper than fossil, right? So th- they have this, their own you know, economic momentum that's, that's you know, gonna be driving their success over the next few decades. So always think about how you, you know, position yourself um, to, to ride the bigger forces that really drive most of business success. Love
0: it. Yeah, I call that going with the flow.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of flow in digital marketing too, of course.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, last one, who else should we interview on the Unsubscribe
1: podcast? Well, uh, who else should we interview? And so it needs to be on things, digital marketing, huh? It can really be anybody. You know what I would say? What I think is fascinating is the whole someone to do with like no code stuff, Uh, you know, it's cool. I think how um, marketing ops is like, how do non-programmers use tooling to automate and, 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 you know, drive these marketing functions. It's really getting much more expansive than that though. And, uh, and, you know, like I, Obviously, Airtable is is really cool. I'm starting to see apps built on top of Airtable. Um, One that I'm thinking of using called Softer, S-O-F-T-R. I was just chatting with their CTO. I forget his name. He was a super cool guy. I think it would be great to get him on. I just think the automation that is happening in marketing operations is not Needs to be thought of less as, as just marketing operations or even revenue operations. It's just business operations yep. across all components of business. And, and people that have these skills that blend, you're not a coder, but you, you're you really good at like using software tools and you have business acumen, this whole wide world of operations is is getting so powerful and broad. So I would go with the CTO of software specifically and generally um, this whole trend around, uh, you know, the expansion of marketing operations to business operations powered by no code tools. Love it. Love (laughs) it. Uh,
0: Well, awesome. Toby, it's been so great to have you on today. Great to kind of hear about all of your different business ventures and what you've learned along the way, uh, and seen how you've adapted to different industries and markets, and now with your new venture, Highway Education, really giving back to that community that we're your customers uh, at Capost, and uh, think it's a great venture what you're doing there, and and definitely giving back to a lot of people, and we. We'll be watching and supporting you and uh, wish you
1: all the best. Well, Pierce, thank you so much for uh, having me on. It's been a pleasure to to be here. Congrats to you on all of your success. And also, again, to you and, and the team at RevPulse. You know, you guys have been great supporters of what we're trying to do at Highway. So much appreciation for that. Thank you.
0: Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Unsubscribed, a podcast created by Knack. If you enjoyed this episode of Unsubscribed, be sure to subscribe to my podcast and leave a review on your favorite podcast player. If you have any feedback or want to chat, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn or follow me on Twitter at marketing underscore 101. Cheers.